We have, you know, been reading through and studying through the book of Acts. And, and with the realization that we're remembering that these early followers of Jesus that we read about in the book of Acts, they, had, they were clueless as to what it really meant to be the church. Now, they loved God and they were learning to love each other, but they didn't know what it actually meant to come together as a community of faith. They really had no idea. And so we have been looking at different things that we see in the book of Acts that they were learning. And today we're talking about that they were learning to be a ministering community. And we, as we enter today, Acts chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at just the first half of Acts 10 because next week I'm going to bring part two of this message about being a ministering community. But what we find is that ministry was all damned up. It was damned up. Now listen, I'm not swearing right now. I'm talking about the fact that it was behind a dam. The living water, the life of Jesus was trapped behind this dam of culture and tradition, even mixed with some ethnic prejudice that was going on. So this living water of Jesus that was meant to be poured out of God's people, poured out of the church, was being dammed up. And guess what God is going to do right here in Acts chapter 10? He is going to blow up the dam, right? Blow it up, Lord. And that's what is happening right here. And so we're going to begin in verse 1 of Acts chapter 10. And we read about a man in the city of Caesarea. Kelly and I actually got to visit Caesarea um, last year. Beautiful coastal community. And that is where the setting for this story takes place. At least half of the story. Acts 10, 1 through 5 says, In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. That means that the Roman soldiers actually had volunteered from Italy. They ate good pasta, right, and were soldiers. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now, send some men to Joppa, the city of Joppa, and summon a man named Simon Peter. So, Here in Acts 10, we're we're introduced to this man named Cornelius. And let's just talk for a a moment or two about what we are discerning and what we we discover about this man named Cornelius. Right away, we find that he's got two strikes against him as far as the Jews would be concerned. Number one, he was Roman, okay? Number two, he was the captain in the Roman army. Listen, please remember that, that the Israelites were a conquered people, Right through the time of Jesus and right when we read through the New Testament, 
They were living under the oppression of the Romans. So what do you think they felt about Romans at this point in their history? I mean, they were absolutely, uh, many of them filled with hatred toward the Romans. And then especially think about what they would feel about Roman soldiers. I mean, these are the ones that were actually, you know, uh, enforcing kind of that, that living in captivity, living as oppressed people. I mean, they had to give taxes to Caesar and, and all of this. In fact, the name of the city, Caesarea, Caesarea, where he lived, guess, guess where we get that name? Caesar. You know, every time you know, somebody would go into Caesarea, they're reminded that we are living under the rule of Caesar in Rome. So Cornelius Two strikes against him right away. He was Roman and he was a leader in the Roman army. But we also see here that it says that Cornelius was a God-fearer. Now, someone who is a God-fearer is someone, I think they've got a couple of things going on in their life. One, they believe that some God, right, has some uh, hold over their destiny and over their future. I mean, there's, there's some God that in some way has control over my life, my destiny, my future. And, and this is important, they're also someone who that belief actually impacts the decisions they make and, the, and the, their choices. So they, they live differently because they believe that there is some God who has some control over their life and their future. And so, we find that this was true of Cornelius. Listen, I believe that's true of many people in our world today. There's a lot of God-fearers. Now, some of those God-fearers, uh, they may identify as Catholic, right? They may identify as Buddhist. They may identify as Hindu or some other religious group. They may even identify as Christians, we may even have some people at the Santa Maria Four Square Church who are God-fearers. They're people who believe that there is some God who has some control over my life, and I'm going to live differently because of that. But they have not yet had an encounter with Jesus. So a God-fearer is not necessarily at all a follower of Jesus. Now, followers of Jesus should also be God-fearers. But God-fearers are not necessarily followers of Jesus. Clear on that? Now, the story of Cornelius is that he was a uh, God-fearer, but it not only says he was a God-fearer, it says he was a devout God-fearer. So there was things in his life that he was doing differently because of his sense that there is some God out there that, is, that has this uh, power in my life. So what does it say about him? It says that he was generous. That's awesome. In fact, he was likely giving right into his community. Out of his resource, he was sharing with the Jewish community around him, maybe helping out some of the soldiers that were under his command. He was a generous man. Also says that he prayed, and which is incredible. We don't know who, who exactly he was praying to. Uh, he had not yet had an encounter with Jesus. He wasn't praying to Jesus, but he was, he, he was so caught with this, God, I know you're there. And so I'm going to live differently because of that. He lived a devoted life. And it says that he brought his whole household along with him in that endeavor. So this is a good man named Cornelius, right? Devout. And this is something that I believe is incredible. God speaks to him. 
Now, I find really great hope in this, and I hope you do too, especially right now if you maybe don't identify as a follower of Jesus. You say, yeah, I'm still checking things out about Jesus. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm not sure about him. Because listen, God speaks to Cornelius before Cornelius was a Christian or someone who had surrendered his life to Jesus. God still shows up in his story. God still speaks to this man, which I find incredible. And I hope you do too, because God may be speaking to you today, whether or not you've made your mind up about Jesus, you can be confident of this. He has made his mind up about you. So now obviously we hear this amazing thing that this angel shows up, tells Cornelius, Hey, there's this guy named Simon Peter in Joppa. You need to go get him. And that's exactly what Cornelius does. So we also see that he's obedient as far as he knew. As God gave him revelation, he like, okay, I'm, I'm on to the next step. I'm going with it. I'm taking steps of obedience um, with everything that I know uh, to do in the Lord. But here is the problem. And here is where we run smack into the dam, right? The dam that was separating ministry, the ministry of living water of Jesus from the rest of the world. Peter was stuck behind the dam because there is no way at this moment that Peter would have had anything to do with this Roman army officer named Cornelius. Absolutely no way that Peter would have had any contact with him. There was this dividing wall, this dam that was separating the Jews from the Gentiles, right? And when we say Gentile, we just mean everybody in the world who wasn't a Jew, right? I'm a Gentile. Maybe you are too. Some of you are Jewish. That's awesome. But at that time, there was this huge dam separating the Jews and the Gentiles, and there is no way that Peter would have had any kind of contact or relationship with this man. In fact, at this point in Peter's life, check this out, he had never been in the home of a Gentile because all of his customs, his traditions, and even this kind of this false narrative of what God had commanded in the Old Testament had over centuries taken on the form that, that like we can't have any relationship with Gentiles as Jews. Can't go into their house, can't sit with them, definitely cannot eat with them. They are, they're kind of on the losing team. It's like God's on our side. We're the winning team. We're the Israelites, right? Why would we want to have any contact or relationship with those losers who God did not choose us as people. We're God's people. They're not God's people. And that is what Peter had been raised under. In fact, here's something that I think is really important for us to understand. If you go back and read through the Old Testament, God never commanded his people to abstain from all relationship with Gentiles. It's like he did not ever tell them, you may not go into the home of a Gentile, may not eat with a Gentile. In fact, there's a lot of stories where there was a lot of crossover and mixture between the Jews and the Gentiles. Lots of stories of that. What God had said is do not follow after the idols 
of the Gentiles. Because there was, there's always competing gods, right? There's, there's the true God that the Israelites knew. This is the real God. Well, God told them, don't go get all entrapped with the gods and the idols of the Gentiles. You know what they did? They did it anyway. And, and so somehow over centuries, that God, God saying don't go after their idols had somehow become this, this uh, issue where they had twisted it. They had like perverted what God had said and twisted it up so it became so entrenched in their culture and their traditions that they thought that they were following God by like keeping the Gentiles away when that is never what God's heart had been. And so, guess what? God needed to get Peter's attention in a very big and significant way. And so, if you read through Acts 10, I'm going to kind of tell the story right here, but if you read through Acts 10, what you find is that Peter went up on the roof of the house where he was staying to pray, right? Good thing. Goes up, gets on the roof, starts to praying, and right then God gives him one of the most clear and radical visions that you can imagine. I mean, for Peter, this was like watching a 3D IMAX movie of what God was showing. And you remember, you remember what it is to go to a movie, right? Okay, you, you, remember, you remember those things we used to go to called movies? Uh, now we just watch them on our phones and uh, TVs. Um, well, anyway, this was like this vivid, you know, 3D IMAX movie. And you are not going to believe what God showed Peter. He showed him a flying carpet. I, it's like, this is amazing. I mean, we think that Aladdin was the one that came up with the idea of the flying carpet, right? No, 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 no. This is not about Disney. God did this. You can read it in Acts chapter 10. There was a flying carpet. What it says, and the way you'll read it, I, I read flying carpet, but what it says is that Peter saw the sky open and what looked like a sheet descending, floating, flying down from heaven. It's what it says, there's a flying carpet. But what was on that sheet is really what was so shocking to Peter. It doesn't say he was shocked by that he saw a flying carpet. I guess maybe that was normal for him, I don't know. But what it says, and this is what shocked Peter, that all of these food items were on this flying carpet, the sheet that was dropped down. All of these were dropped down. Um, all, all of these things that were on there were foods that God had forbidden his people, the Israelites, to eat of. Okay, there's, there's animals, there's reptiles, and there's birds on this, on this sheet. And it's like, whoa, what, what is going on here? Because I know those are things that I, I cannot have anything to do with those. Those are not kosher. And if, you, if you know anything about Jewish culture even to this day, right, they, they can only eat kosher foods. There are kosher foods. There are non-kosher foods. And what was on this flying carpet was non-kosher. But then here is where God takes it to a whole nother level. Because God says to Peter, you go kill and eat this that I've shown you. Peter is like, gross. No. Like, 
I have, I have never eaten any of those things. I will never eat of those things. And God says to Peter something that shook Peter to the core. The crack was forming on this dam right now in, of his life because God tells him, what I have made clean, do not call unclean. What? What I have made clean, do not call unclean. Peter's like, I don't even understand this. God shows him the movie three times, it says. He really wanted him to get it. So there was like a rerun and then another rerun, and it was the same movie. Same flying carpet, same non-kosher stuff. Eat it, Peter. No. Yeah, what I've called clean, don't call unclean. Listen, God used this vision to blow up this dam that had been formed in Peter's life of culture mixed with prejudice. And this was about way more than simply food. That, that, that food, that, that idea of something that was kosher and God's now saying, or things that were non-kosher and God's saying like, now it's kosher. God was using that as a metaphor, as an example, that I have changed everything, Peter. That which was the rules and the regulations of the old covenant, the old testament, the old promise that you were under at that time has been changed. There is now a new covenant, a new promise. There is no, for followers of Jesus, there is no longer kosher and unkosher food. And, and this was God's point here, there is no longer kosher or unkosher people. All people are now to be reached with this living water of Jesus. There's not the winning team and the losing team. There's not like the people that have God's favor and the people that God hates. No, God is saying I, the dam has to be burst because the living water of God is meant to flow all through the world and I wanna use you, my church, to do it. So God blows up the dam. Praise the Lord. Jesus' death tore down that barrier. In fact, if you know anything about the crucifixion of Jesus, it says that when he died, that literally, that there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies in the Jewish temple from the rest of the world. People were not allowed to go in. And it says that when he died, that that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. It's like God said, yep, shh, this is done. The dividing wall is torn down. The dam is broken up. Peter just hadn't gotten the message yet. Peter just did not realize how revolutionary this was. He didn't realize how serious Jesus was about blowing up this dam so that the whole world would be flooded with the ministry of Jesus through you and me, through Peter, through God's people. And now as Peter's vision is ending, he was gonna get an immediate, right on the spot opportunity to live out 
this new reality, this new and living way, as the author of Hebrews describes it. He's going to get an opportunity to do it right now because this is where we pick up in verse 19 of Acts chapter 10. It says this, Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I've sent them. Now, Peter needed to hear that because those three men knocking on the doors, those were Gentile knuckles knocking on the door. Those are three Gentiles coming to a Jew's home. And so God needed to tell him, hey, this is for me. Go, and I love this, without hesitation, with no barrier. Don't have to think about it. Don't have to wonder if this is a God thing. Don't have to even pause, Peter. Go. And Peter is realizing, realizing that this vision that he'd had about non-kosher food and that God was now calling it kosher had to do with way more than just food. This is about people. People are way more important than food in God's mind, by the way. So Peter goes downstairs, meets these three men, finds out their story that an angel had shown up in this guy's Cornelius' home, given Cornelius this vision of actually coming and saying, go get Peter in this whole other city 30 miles away. So Peter invites him to stay over the night, had a little sleepover, and then the next day, Peter gets other believers from this city, Joppa, where he was staying, and these believers go with Peter and these three men on a 30-mile, uh, kind of 24-hour journey to get to Cornelius' home. And when they arrive 30 miles away in Caesarea, where Cornelius lived, what they encountered was a house party. There was a house party going on at Cornelius's because it says that Cornelius had gathered, like, all of his friends and family, like... I can't even imagine the faith that Cornelius had because all he had was like this vision, like this angel, like saying, hey, there's this guy 30 miles away. His name's Peter. Uh, Better, better, better go fetch him. It's like he had so much faith in God that here we are like now days later after the, you know, the guys went, spent the night, did another 20. So it's like three days later. And Cornelius is like, I know he's coming. I know he's going to be here so like everybody get together. Do you imagine how embarrassing it would have been for Cornelius if like, yeah, Peter would have said, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm staying on my side of the dam. Or if his guys got there and go, yeah, there was no guy named Peter. That was, I think you were eating some bad pita there, Cornelius. We don't, there was no, no guy named Peter there. But this is, but God's word was actually right on for Cornelius. And he walked in faith, and so he said, man, everybody gather because I know he's going to be showing up. And if an angel said to bring him, it's going to be good. You are not going to want to miss this party. And so that's exactly what Peter walks into. And then it says Peter did something that he had never done in his life. It says that he walked into the house of a Gentile. For the first time in his life, he said, I am going to dare to step out from my side of 
the dam. And I am going to recognize what God is doing here in my story and in his story and in the story of the church. And I am no longer going to recognize any barrier. I am crossing this threshold. And for the first time in his life, Peter brought the ministry of Jesus into the home of a Gentile. Peter finally recognized in this moment that you do not need to be a Jew in order to receive of the grace, the ministry, and the salvation of Jesus. That those things are for the whole world. And the dam was fully blown apart. Fully blown apart. Now next week, man, we're gonna pick up and we're gonna talk about the end of the story because we're gonna learn next week what I believe are two incredible things about how to be people who receive ministry and people who give ministry. But before we finish today, we've gotta like look at our own lives here because I believe that it's not only Peter, right, that has dams built up in their hearts. I believe that you and I we have dams that are built up in our hearts. Now, Peter had a dam about kosher food and non-kosher food, right? And he made this statement to God, I will never. He made this dam like built up out of the I will nevers. I will never go into the house of a Gentile. I will never eat food that is not kosher. I will, right? I mean, that's what his tradition and culture mixed in with some prejudice had done in Peter's life. But I wonder for you and for me, if there may be some things that we have done to build a dam in our life, what are perhaps the I will nevers that we have allowed to be built up in our own hearts in our own lives, things that would dam up the living water of Jesus to flow to the people in the world around us, people that God has put us right next to, but there's this dividing wall, there's this separation. And so I've, I've written down, I was meditating on the, this week and like what are the I will nevers that maybe some of us are dealing with. So you ready? I think there's some people that have the I will never, I will never be seen with those people. With those people. Oh God, no, oh no, no, no. I will never be seen with those people. Let me just camp out on that one for a moment because I think that's maybe the biggest one. I'm, I'm gonna list some others that we may, we may say, but I'll tell you, I will never be seen with those people. Listen, we're in if you haven't noticed, a presidential election year. And there is so much politicking that is going on in our world. And there is so much anger on both sides, right? Left, right, and probably even mixed up in the middle. And there are people, and I know there are even people who are followers of Jesus who are like, I would never, I will never associate myself with people 
that are on the other side of a political spectrum. I don't care whether you're left, right, or center, because I know that there are people who just get culturally stuck behind that dam of politics and says, no, 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 I don't have time for people who are so convoluted in their thinking. Really? What does Jesus say about that? What is God's heart? What would God drop down on your flying carpet, right? What might be on it? You know, might it be a donkey? May it be an elephant? (laughs) You know, right? I mean, Republicans, Democrats. I mean, is there something on there that you would just say, no way, I will never associate myself with people that are that different than me. Really. Because we can make promises in our own mind, in our own heart. There are these negative declarations that are absolutely against the spirit of the living God. And I believe that God wants to tear down those dividing walls. He wants to blow up those dams. But it may not be about political spectrum for you. You may be okay with that. But I bet there are people that really, really bother you. And I will never associate myself with those people. I will never associate myself with homeless people. Yeah, they made their own choices. They got themselves into that situation. I will never. That's somebody else's deal. That ain't mine, right? Sexual orientation. The tough one for many people. I will never associate myself. I will never be seen with those people. Really? See, is, is that God's heart for those people? That you would distance yourself? That you would say, no, I'm, I'm on God's winning team over here. I'm not going to associate with people who are different from me, see life through different lenses, right? I'm not going to associate there. You just, just pick a group of people that you, are, that you feel are not on God's winning team. And you just put in that title right there, and I believe that that could be what is on your flying carpet, right? (laughs) That is what God may be dropping down in front of you, giving you an opportunity to say, God, I want to see things the way you see them. But now listen, there, there could be a whole lot of other I will nots, right? I will never serve in children's ministry, it's like, no, those little rugrats, I, I, would, I would never, right? Really? You, you would never do that. I will never go on a missions trip. I'm just not cut out for that. I can't eat the food. I don't know if I can sleep. I don't know. They're, they're going to get me sick. They're going to get me dirty. I don't know. I'm just grossed out. I, I just can never do that. I like, my, I like my little world. right? I like my side of the dam. Okay, because it's a big world out there. And there's a whole lot more people that need the living water of Jesus that are outside of your little insulated bubble than are in there with you already, right? So God may want to blow that dam up. Okay, well, I'm not going on a mission trip. I, would n- I will never be a missionary. Okay. If you want to say that to the living God of the universe, you might try that, but I don't know if that's going to work well for you. 
I will never give my money to some church. You know, those, those churches, they're just filled with people who are trying to get my money and I'm never going to participate in that foolishness. Really? Is that, is, is that God's heart that you would like just, oh, it's all for me and I'm, I'm not going to be generous and share and I'm not going to give to allow ministry to go forth. It's just, just for me. I'm not, I'm not, I will never do that. Oh, well, that's interesting. And I wonder if there may be a big pile of money on your flying carpet that God may drop down in front of you today. How about this? I will never talk in front of people. Now, that's a big one because it just strikes to the heart of fear, right? Fear of man, fear of people. It's like, well, maybe I'll do some things behind the scenes, but I will never talk in front of people. That's for people like you, Tim. That's for, that's for others. That's not for me. I will never. I will never share my faith on Instagram. Hey, I, I am cultivating my little audience, right? I got people who like look to me and think I'm cool. I think I'm special. I will never share my faith on social media. Okay, maybe, maybe there's going to just be a giant iPhone floating down out of the sky that God's wanting you to look at and say, really? Or how about this? I will never share my faith with my coworkers or my friends at school or my, my neighbors. I, I will never share my faith. I mean, my faith is a personal and private thing. I will never. So I believe that God is wanting to blow up dams. God is wanting to set us free and God is wanting his living water to flow. And he wants it to flow through you and through me. He wants us to be a church that is becoming a ministering community to the world around us. I want to close with this thought. You know, some of you may be thinking back, well, seven days. Uh, Because seven days ago, last Sunday, we preached a message. I preached a message. Sergio preached a message in Spanish about being a called out community. Like, so how can we be a called out community and also a ministering community? I want to address that for a moment because you may be wondering, well, it's like, wait, wait a second. Is he, is he saying that like we're, we're, we're not called out, that we're not to be separate and we're not to, well, that, that's a really good question because I think there are some people that might actually in their kind of, can I use the word immaturity, uh, in trying to follow after Jesus may take this in, a, in an unhelpful direction. They may say, okay, well, great. Now I want to go minister to people in the bars, right? I, I'm going to go start a bar ministry. And if they're drinking, I should probably be drinking too, uh, you know, so that I can like really, really relate with them. And so I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm just going to kind of go all in and maybe somehow I'll be able to share Jesus with them. Listen, that's not God's heart. That's not what we're talking about here because we have been called out. Last week, we, we looked at on the scripture, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And I was just meditating on this again, that we have been called out. It says we have been called out of the darkness, meaning we're not to allow darkness in any way back into our story. We've been called out of the darkness. But in that same scripture, in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says this, as a result 
as a result of being called out, as a result of being chosen by God, you can show others the goodness of God. So these two things are, are not separate or kind of antithetical, like you can't, you can't be called out and be a ministering person. No, the whole goal, the whole mission of the church is to be both, to be a called out community and a ministering community. We've been called out of darkness. So the dam being torn down and blown up and for the living water of Jesus to flow through our lives it never, it is never, a never a call to go back to darkness. The call is to bring light to a dark world. That is the call that is upon me. It's upon you. It's upon the church. We are to be a ministering community. Let's pray. Let's join our hearts together. God, thank you so much, Lord. Lord, that we get to be a ministering community. We get to be your ones that have been called out, called out of darkness so that we can show, oh, your love, your light, your grace, and the message of salvation, Lord, to the world around us. Lord, you have called us out in order to set us apart as your ministering people. And wherever there may be a dam that's been built up in our, our lives that separates us from the world that so desperately needs you. That means they need us as well, your church, your people. So God, I pray, Lord, just in the name of Jesus, that dams would be being blown up right now. That whether it's political, sexual orientation, whatever, anything that would separate us from the world that so needs you, that God, that those would be blown up right now by your spirit. And here's what I would even encourage you to do as you're joining me in prayer. Name the damn that maybe God is wanting to deal with in your life. Things that you have said, I will never. Things that you have declared as kind of these internal negative promises that you've made to yourself of things that you would never do. I encourage you to name them before the Lord. And if you're sitting with someone that you trust, maybe you'd lean over and say, hey, this is, this is my dam. What's yours? What's yours? What's something that maybe you've said, spoken to yourself? Maybe you've never even said it to anybody else, but in your heart, you, would, you have said, I will never. <sighs> Lord, we bring these things before you. These internal negative promises that we have made to ourselves and we say over them that we break those. We, we break them. Lord, we, we allow by your spirit, by your spirit's power that they would be blown up, that those would not rule our futures. Those would not be statements that would be defining for our lives, but God, but you and your grace and your call upon us to be your ministering people that's what would define our lives. That's what would be defining. So Jesus, we want to be people that are absolutely free to bring your living water, Lord, to whomever, wherever, and even at whatever cost. In Jesus' name. And listen, friends, 
if you've been hearing us talk about Jesus, you've been listening to this message, and, and maybe you recognize that you've been a God-fearer, you've been someone who you do believe that there is some God out there, maybe you've identified him as a higher power or, or maybe through some other religious system. But right now, I believe that God is just dealing right with you right now. And Jesus is saying, I am real. I am for you. I am not against you. And I have died that you could be set free. Come and drink of the living water. Listen, if that's you, if that's you, Right where you are right now, you can declare before the Lord and before Jesus because he's listening to you. You can declare, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. Lord, I repent. Lord, I ask for forgiveness for all that's gone before, all the things that I did, maybe in ignorance or maybe willfully, but things that I have done that were not of you and I give myself over to you. I am yours and you are mine. And listen, if that's your decision today, here's what I want you to do. I'd love for you to let us know. Would you, would you like just go over to our website just for a moment, just sm4.org, sm, the number four, dot O-R-G. Right there on the homepage of our, of our website, you're gonna find a virtual connection card. Just click on it. And would you tell us your story? And, and if you do that, if you say, hey, I'm, I'm giving my life to Jesus, We have some material that we would like to send you. We can send it to you electronically. We can actually put it in the mail and send you a little book, just a little booklet that describes what it means to say yes to Jesus. And man, it would be our joy to journey with you and partner with you as you continue to grow in the Lord. Hey, friends, it's been awesome being with you today. I look forward to hanging out with you again next week. Your love, church. We'll see you next week.